Welcome to IdeaGen TV. Today we are ecstatic to have with us Peter Fadelnik, Minister Counselor for Digital Economy Policy at the delegation of the European Union to the United States. Peter, welcome. Good morning. Great pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me. Peter, it's an incredible moment in time. We are broadcasting our Dynamic Resiliency Summit. We just came off what was an incredibly challenging year for just about every human on the planet in 2020 uh, with the situation of the global pandemic. IdeaGen has defined, we brought together two words that we believe appropriately describe organizations that not only perhaps have survived, but thrived through this difficult time and that is to define dynamic resiliency. Dynamic resiliency is an organization, could be public sector, could be private sector, could be an NGO, that has demonstrated a dedicated ethos focused on fostering partnerships across sectors that result in surviving, recovering, and reimagining operations after the most challenging circumstances. It's also defined as the ability to see around corners and to reimagine. Peter, what does this term mean to you and to the EU delegation? And how would you define dynamic resiliency? Well, what a great introduction you have. I think this, uh, and I appreciate you actually went great length in explaining what you think dynamic resilience is. For me, and let me start maybe with a more personal view on that, resilience means a lot, particularly now, as you have alluded to the difficult time we have behind us and probably the difficult time we will still have ahead of us. Resilience as a word uh, to me relates to survival. Personally, as we all face these challenges of a physical and mental health challenge and professionally, where we as humans have been forced to isolate and live our, a virtual professional life. Uh, and, and then when I come to the, the dynamic part of it, I would have hoped that perhaps there would have been more change over the last few months, that we would have had the ability to, to experiment more with this new life. I'm not sure if we have reached that. Personally, um, I have to say that I'm in fact, I'm quite disappointed about that technology has let us down at the end. Uh, and don't get me wrong here, tech is helpful uh, just for this conversation we're having right now. I fully understand that. But in fact, none of the cool stuff I dreamt of as an engineering student many years ago uh, became reality. I, I too often find myself lost in cyberspace and, and you can and ask and ask the question, can you hear me? So. As, as humans, we are herd animals and just function in groups. The virus or technology is not going to change that in a million years. So the dynamic part in, in this combination of the two words, dynamic resilience, will be to figure out how do, we, how do we inject what we have learned over the last two years in a smart way into how this future will be functioning. And there's a lot to be done. I'm so sorry to say, but I think we have we have not scratched the surface of the change we need. And and you know that's an inter interesting perspective because I believe in your role 
as the Minister Counselor for Digital Economy Policy at the delegation of the European Union to the United States. Your role is one that is hyper-focused on this digital piece and the digital economy. And you're watching it from a not only a macro perspective, but also from a micro perspective. And I think that's a very, very, very unique vantage point because you understand what can be possible. You're mirroring that also with your background and your education, as you mentioned, as a student of technology, you are, you know, you're hoping, you're seeing, you're hoping that all of these new changes are implemented. And, and I think what also, and I think the EU has highlighted this very appropriately, is the digital divide and the perhaps inequality. Um, as Brad Smith from Microsoft said uh, recently, you know, the, the internet is electricity of today. Access to the internet is like having access to what was access to electricity at one point. And I think what we've seen now is many people don't have access to that information source. And you've seen it with the pandemic in terms of schooling and education and how children across the world that do not have access, maybe they don't even have a computer, are left behind in some way. And that's the tragedy of this moment, but also the opportunity to, to fill those gaps, to say, this is what we need to address today. And it's shown you know, a bright light on this inequality as well. And to your point, you know, the, the transformation, there has been a, a, a rapid transformation. I'd like to pivot just a bit unscripted to say, what do you see will be the lasting change from this situation we're in? Is it, it will you go back to the office? Will you, do you, do you think folks will communicate this way now uh, instead of going into an office? But I think you alluded to, we are a herd mentality in terms of human beings like to be together. Uh, the like the interaction. What, what do you think the future looks like, Peter? Mm -hmm. Now, I probably uh, many people would agree with me that the future may be something more of of a hybrid future. We will we'll take the best of both worlds. We will not give up this convenience of electronic communications and the way we are just right now talking. Uh, that would be just too cumbersome to switch that out for in-person uh, conversations. But at the same time particularly with family, friends. I think this is something where we start reconnecting. This will certainly reach into professional life where professional life melts into personal life. So I, I can see the hybrid scenario coming. But I think you, when you, when you say, what, what will be the challenges? I think you have mentioned yourself, we should be laser focused on closing the gap you've been referring to. The internet is like electricity or water. It's a basic right, it's almost a human right. And, and we are way not there. And I think a bit of humbleness in, in seeing what do we have, what are the gaps and how do we fill them? There are gaps, no matter what perhaps companies make us believe or how fast 5G and nationwide is, it is not. So I think we have to go back, look at the numbers and really do that work. If we don't, well, we, we are unprepared for that future and we will just sort of 
stagnate because this is not a question it's not an option it's an imperative to make that level of connectivity for everybody that's right it, it really is an imperative that, that's exactly right and and so i'd also like to ask you in terms of reskilling upskilling in all of the areas that present an opportunity today um I've seen so many companies and so many organizations working with the European Union and, uh, you know, in, in making investments um, like Microsoft, invest, you know, committed to a billion dollars in investing in reskilling and upskilling in Greece, my, uh, my native uh, country. And, and it's profound what you can do when you think about this opportunity. What do you see as the opportunity for that reskilling, upskilling, in, in aligning, you know, the jobs of the future with education? Uh, I mean, yet again, I'm not surprised that you put finger onto something which is a, a real priority right now. Uh, you will be pleased to hear that, in fact, the new commission, the new European Commission has just a few days ago launched a new initiative to look into the future of work. We have been doing so for years. Uh, we have also a, a wide range of programs which support that. But we want to look now, what did learn over the last 12 months? How did that change our previous policy or how should it change our previous policy on the future of work? I'm, I'm frankly speaking, I'm not entirely sure if, if I can understand at this stage, it's January 2021, what we've learned and will take away from the pandemic and how this changed our work life. Because on the one hand, you can say, well, amazing life work life continues and companies are not doing so bad at the same time i thoroughly believe we haven't seen the full impact of that crisis on the job market at this stage so i i think right now as a european union we pursue a double strategy uh the one is the one line the one strand is continue what you're doing uh, don't change your strategy unless you have a good reason and maybe the second strand is, is there a good reason to change your strategy these days? Should you invest more in, in early education in schools or should there be a shift in educating workers and vocational training? So there are sort of these balances we have to find in the whole value chain of, of the education. And, and I'm glad you mentioned your children. It starts at a very, very early stage. That's right. And, and, and it's, it's really, you know, as a citizen, uh, it's really great to hear that governments are looking at this and, and not making rash decisions that that you're studying, you know, in the example of the European Union, that that the EU is looking at what is that balance? What is that critical balance with upskilling and education in general and the methodologies around that and, and putting in a thoughtful review, if you may, of, of what works and what doesn't. We've seen We've seen all of the opportunities uh, that are examples globally from Europe um, in terms of how skilling and reskilling takes place. And those examples have, have permeated into the United States in, in the way we look at education here to say, well, we should be providing opportunities to skill workers to provide these critical skills to align with what is available instead of just, you know, 
uh, arming people with degrees or skills that may not be uh, employable on some level. So, so that critical alignment, I think the EU has been a leader in that. Um, and and we, we in the United States are looking at it and have always looked at it as a model and so many different levels of, of that critical alignment. So, and then you have the whole notion of things are so rapidly changing, Peter. You know, the world is changing, even though a lot of the technologies perhaps are not, you know, being implemented as quickly or as, 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 um, as efficiently as perhaps some would like. I think there's still a rapid change. I mean, if I were to tell you a year ago that that you would be working remotely and I would be, you know, in a studio and we'd be having a conversation and then that, you know, conferences would be taking place digitally, et cetera, you'd say, wow, really? You know, like CES this year was completely digital. I, who would have thought? I mean, it, it's just an incredible notion. And so we're, we're appreciative as we watch what the EU is doing and, and you're articulating it as always so well for our global audience at IdeaGen, uh, who's looking for that, that guidance. What is happening? Is there hope? It, will this be aligned properly? Will we come out of this with governments actually studying and thinking about this? Or will be, we make sort of rash decisions? And I think you're giving people hope today that there are people working and watching and understanding. And, and you, in your role as Minister Counselor for Digital Economy Policy at the delegation of the European Union to the United States, are on that front edge of helping to describe and to understand what is happening on behalf of the citizenry of Europe in our tremendous partnership with the United States.